welcome. Legally Brief presents Changing Our Institutions. I'm your host, Judy Saunders. I'm a lawyer who works with private and public companies, educational institutions, and sports organizations to identify root causes, confront historic failures, and boldly implement change to our institutions. This podcast is for corporate change agents, disruptors, and mindset mavericks who are committed to making our institutions work better for themselves and the next generation. I want to remind you that while I hope you enjoy every episode in the series that we're doing on changing our institutions, the content of this programming is not a substitute for speaking directly with an attorney who understands your unique circumstances. If you're looking for past episodes or information, please head on over to my website. There you'll find information and you can sign up for newsletters and you can learn more about me and my practice. I'm glad you're here. Let's get ready and let's talk and make some changes. Hello and welcome. I'm glad that you're here. As today we touch on and look at a very sensitive topic, but an important one. We will start the episode by discussing the tragic story of Katie Meyer, a student athlete. And then we'll talk about the initiative, the campaign, so to speak, that has been started by Ms. Meyer's parents to help other student athletes, students, and to bring universities online with this effort. And we'll really, during the whole episode, discuss this issue of what universities should do, can do, or maybe even revise or improve when we talk about providing notice to students, to athletes who may be facing a disciplinary hearing or some other type of challenging life event while they're students. How can we support them? How can we empower these students so that they don't feel alone and so that they know that they have the help they need? Maybe you're listening to this as a university official, Title IX officer. Maybe even you're a coach or you're in the athletic department. Nevertheless, you are looking and have joined this discussion with me today to figure out how to improve, maybe even work with your university to revise or write policies that support student athletes that are in some type of trauma. Before we go any further, disclaimer and trigger warning, we will be discussing suicide in youth in this episode. And so if you or someone you know is experiencing a mental health crisis, please contact the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline, the crisis support within your area. You can many times, you can find that by calling the non-emergency number for your local law enforcement, depending on what area you are in. And if, again, as a trigger warning, if you believe that this is the discussion of suicide 
is not one that you're able to listen to, please turn off this episode, go back and listen to prior episodes where we talk about other topics that range from institutional uh, discrimination, harassment, investigations. Please go back and listen to those. As is really the nature, the traditions, customs of our culture, adults, authority figures, institutions have really created an ecosystem where student athletes, where youth are expected to produce results, manage pressures, and provide deliverables that may be beyond their years of experience. How do we know this? How do we know that there's a demand on student athletes, on students? There's pressures beyond their years of experience. Well, you have studies, scientific studies, you have research that's been done. And I could speak to you from personal experience that this is so. There's actually no lack of examples or anecdotal stories to support student athletes and students in general are pressured and they're feeling the weight of producing. While athleticism, school sports is a blessing, it doesn't go without saying that there's also a dark side to youth athletics. And that dark side causes harm, hurt, and oftentimes can prove fatal if we don't keep this issue top of mind, if parents, authority figures, school fishes, coaches, even fans and athletes, if we don't try to change this ecosystem that's built on pressure, if we don't revise it, and from time to time in discussions like the ones we're having today, think of new and innovative ways, think of ways even to revise or update the policies and our thinkings and the way that we approach the pressures that we put on student athletes. In a survey that was done in the fall of 2021 by the NCAA, the Student Athlete Wellbeing Study, it was based on approximately 10,000 student athletes. Some of the findings from that studies included that there is a rate, a high rate of mental exhaustion, anxiety, and depression among college athletes. It revealed also that that exhaustion, depression, and anxiety was higher than a sampling that was taken pre-COVID-19, so before the pandemic. And that would actually go against what you would think would be conventional or reasonable thinking that the pandemic would have been the height of pressure for a student athlete. But in fact, we find that those numbers are not falling and that in fact, the pressure is actually, and the depression, anxiety is actually increasing. And that's just one study. Let's talk about for a second some of the examples of how we see these pressures being manifest itself in the lives of college athletes. Some of you may have heard about Sarah Schultz, who was the track and cross country runner at Wisconsin. She died by suicide in April 13th. Also, Laura Bennett, a softball player 
at the University at James Madison, who died by suicide in April 26. Of These are in 2022. These deaths were over just an eight-week span, and that also includes the student-athlete that we'll talk about during this episode, Katie Meyer. The death of Katie Meyer, this happened a while ago. It happened in March of this year, 2022, when sheriff deputies in California responded to the Stanford University dormitory where Ms. Myers lived. Uh, they were responding to a report of a death investigation. Unfortunately, tragically, they did find Katie Meyer there dead by suicide. Ms. Meyer was the goalkeeper and captain of the Stanford University soccer team. She was 22 years old. These reports, and this is a lot of information, this comes from research. Part of that is USA Today and other news and media outlets and my own research that I found. Katie was remembered in so many beautiful ways that I read about. One quote that I read about Katie was that she was a bright, shining light for so many on the field and in the community. As a result of her death, her parents started a wonderful idea. It's called Katie's Save, and that's kind of nicknamed or drawn from all of the goals that she had saved over the course of her athletic career. And the purpose of Katie's Save was to, just what we were talking about before, change that ecosystem where we're putting or we're raising and cultivating our student athletes and bring about a place where if a college student is confronted with some type of challenge while they're at school, whether it's a disciplinary hearing, whether it's some type of other crisis, but in particular, what we'll talk about is a disciplinary hearing, that they will be notified, the student will be explicitly notified by the university that they have a designated advocate who will work with the student in that challenging circumstances to give extra guidance and support. Those situations, as described by this initiative, they could include maybe it's a physical injury that the student is facing, maybe some type of emotional or mental health or student conduct issue, even academic probation. But we're going to talk about how that would appear in a disciplinary action where a student is either a witness, maybe a target, and some part of a subject of an investigation. What spawned this initiative was that the parents learned after Katie's death that she was involved in a disciplinary matter. They found a letter describing this matter. And her father, Steve Meyer, described it as this. He's quoted as saying that it's hard to crawl inside her mind precisely, her mind meaning his daughter. But what he went on to say, but what I can sort of put together is that she, Katie, just felt like she failed. She felt like she was going to let everybody down, that she was going to be canceled or was about to be as a result of this disciplinary hearing. Now, in full disclosure, there is no, I did not find any direct link that it was the specific disciplinary or alleged disciplinary action on behalf of the university that was the cause of this tragic event. And 
what the death of Katie Meyer. We do not know that. We do not know if there's other extenuating circumstances or intervening circumstances. But the parents feel that this initiative, and they feel that their daughter was likely alone during this time when she was facing this challenging situation, and that going forward, they believe one solution would be this designated advocate that would help students. It's believed that Katie thought over the course of this disciplinary matter with the university that it was actually over. This is from family attorney Kim Darty that had been retained by the family and that Katie didn't know that the action was ongoing. So there may have been some confusion and pure speculation on my part. Maybe Katie believed that because it was ongoing, it, this is, you know, it added to maybe stress. We can assume that, you know, having academic career, being a high level elite athlete, that this also compounded upon the stress and then add on top of that a challenging situation. So those are some of the reasons why they've started this initiative. And so that brings us to the question of a university, whether if they don't have it in place, whether they should get some type of warnings, notice, written, explicit warnings that are delivered and given to a student before disciplinary actions, they're reminded of those, or maybe you're you're in the athletic department and you're thinking about this, you're listening to this and you're saying, look, we have policies in place. You're a Title IX officer. We already have this. We're complying with state and local laws, school policies. But this is an opportunity, this discussion is an opportunity to maybe even revise those and think of a way how we can really build a process where young adults do not feel isolated and conversely, they feel empowered. We have an example. We have a blueprint if you're looking to revise policies or even establish new ones. And that blueprint is pulling from what's done in the criminal litigation world and also in the civil litigation world. And by that, I mean, we are all familiar with what we know to be Miranda warnings. Those are the warnings that are given to an individual or should be given to an individual at the time that they are detained by law enforcement. There are such warnings as you have the right to remain silent. You have a right to returning. Anything you say can and will be held against you. That's just a summary of what they look like. Or in the civil war, what we know if there's some type of investigation that's to be had, what are called upjohn warnings. It's a way to tell a witness, tell a target, establish boundaries and clear lines, letting an individual know your role, what their role is, that they have the opportunity to obtain counsel, that they can decide in certain circumstances to cooperate and just having some clarity so that individuals are not strung along and they're unclear and they feel compromised or they feel unnecessarily vulnerable. So that's what we want to talk about, revising and understanding. Now, Every situation is going to be different. And by no way am I saying that there's going to be a hard and fast rule on what these notice, and that's what we'll call it, what this notice to students should say. 
But like I was mentioning before, you do have a blueprint. You do have a thought. You do have policies. And that's things that myself and attorneys at my firm that we work with on helping universities draft, think about, consider. We train on these policies and ways to update, revise, and think about on all sides. One of the benefits that is important is being able to have a lens to provide clients and universities with the ability to say, look, this is how a student would feel receiving this. This is how a target of an investigation will will see and will, will process this. And that comes from doing litigation from both a plaintiff and also a defense side. So that's also something that you have to think about when you're revising these policies and you're thinking about them. You want to ensure that schools provide support. And we know individuals who work at schools, at these universities, these institutions, they want a healthy community. They want a healthy student body. And a lot of times when there's some type of disciplinary hearing or action or investigation that's being launched, the reality is, well, just before we get to that point, let me just bring up one thing that Katie Meyer, her father mentioned, which I think is very true, is that he's quoted as saying in some that highly competitive and high achieving athletes like his daughter resist seeking help. And I know from my work that a lot of that resistance comes from still the stigma that we place on seeking help for if you're in mental distress, maybe it's acute mental distress, maybe it's chronic. And that's in spite of every all of the advancements we've made, you know, with mental health awareness. You have months dedicated to it. You have whole departments and individuals. You have mental health professionals. You have apps that people can access in the privacy of their home. Even with that done, there's still, unfortunately, the stigma that if you reach out because you're suffering from just the challenges of transitioning from childhood to adulthood, you're now having to navigate the world, deal with adult responsibilities on your own. You don't want to be seen as weak or still, unfortunately, there's equating if you can't handle everything on your own, that it's weak, that a mental health crisis is a sign of weakness. And a lot of times I know from being in the space, dealing with authority figures that are coaches and athletes, if you have a coach that's not mindful, sometimes the line can be crossed where mental toughness that you need to perform consistently at these high levels can be misinterpreted for if you show a crack that there's some mental weakness. If you don't have an individual that's mature enough, they will take that to mean, in a lot of instances, that they could never talk about or show that they are suffering and they're having a mental health crisis because that directly will impact. That's the reasoning. It will impact their performance. We know healthy adults, healthy youth know that's not true and that it doesn't matter who you are, what stage you are in your life. We all have mental health crisis where we need help. We need, it can come in the form of a counselor, social worker, psychologist, 
nurse practitioner, a psychiatrist. There's so many modalities. It could be maybe a daily practice, something, you know, on the maintenance side after the acute or chronic crisis is managed of a daily practice of meditation. It can also look like staying in conversation, cognitive behavioral therapy, all of those modalities help, but students may resist that. Student athletes, high achieving athletes may resist that. And it doesn't take away that it's still needed. But when we frame our conversation just around this idea of receiving notice, so a student receiving notice from a university of a disciplinary action or some type of conduct, maybe it's an allegation of sexual misconduct or harassment, that there's less of a stigma a lot of times when that notice is accompanied by the language that, look, you're also, not only is this coming, you should be aware of this, but you are entitled to advocate. The advocate could be an attorney. It could be someone and should be someone who is trauma-informed. It could be maybe a university will want to think about, now we're talking about you know, the recommendations to revise your policies or think about how to make your policies more student-centered, fair and equitable to all parties involved. You'll think about, you know, letting that notice be very explicit that there's some type of legal individual, legal person, legal professional who will walk you through the process, who will counsel you. That notice should be clear. I contemplate that it could look something like if a notice is being sent, you don't just send the notice and put that maybe in one paragraph to the top. Let that be a sheet. Let that be standalone by itself. So for example, when law enforcement are delivering Miranda warnings, a lot of times it could be said from memory, but I have seen a lot of situations if there's an investigation, it will be its own separate document that the individual is, you're having a conversation with the individual, they're signing off, they're making sure that there's some understanding about what they're reading and what they're entitled to. And that's even more important, I would think, when you're dealing with, you know, someone who is a young adult, who does not have the same life experience and who's dealing with something who's very challenging and may be very fearful and may go into a blame and a shame mode and then not discuss it. Maybe they don't have a support system. Maybe they don't have parents that they can immediately take this to and parents that'll stand up and advocate for them. Maybe they're worried about their athletic scholarship and thinking that they can just handle this secretly on their own. The student should know that it doesn't have to be in secret, that a parent doesn't have to be involved because in fact, part of a proposed university policy is that the university will pay for this advisor, this designated advisor, and it'll be no cost to the student. Maybe there's um, numbers that will be provided to contact this advisor immediately. That's the type of notice that should be either drafted or updated if you have an existing policy, because you want the immediate goal of these revised or new policies when we think about this notice, you want them to empower 
and you want them to show that the student is going to be supported. Yes, there's an investigation going on. Yes, you may be the target of this, but guess what? You're not alone to face this. You have to have a well thought out plan. And like I said, with professionals who are trauma informed, the student should know that part of the the role of this advocate, this legal professional, is that that relationship will be separate, will be independent from the university. That's someone just for them to seek counsel from and that their relationship will be confidential. So that's what some of the basics that you'll want to ensure that either current or new policies include when we think about how do we avoid letting our student athletes, our young adults who are in a university center, how do we ensure that if they're going to face a what could be a scary situation, an administrative hearing, a proceeding, how do we ensure that they feel supported, even if they don't, even if they're not able to contact what you would think would be, you know, hey, call your parents, your parents will support you. A lot of times they don't do that, as is the case we see from Katie Meyer. Her parents didn't learn about this disciplinary hearing for, you know, weeks after her death. So those are some of the things that, again, if you are in an authority role in your institution, if you're thinking about how to revise policies, and especially one thing that I'll add just new to this discussion, but related, is if you are a Title IX official, you're what in Title IX official and you're dealing with a sexual misconduct hearing, you'll want to really ensure that you have some type of notice like this that makes individuals, whether it's the complaining witness, whether it is the target of the disciplinary hearing or the investigation, you'll want to ensure that you have something like this in writing. And I also would say that not only is it just given in writing, that it's also verbally delivered to the individuals involved in any type of a sexual misconduct hearing when we're dealing with a Title IX complying with new regulations that were put into place recently. So that is what we wanted to cover today. As always, it's a true pleasure to have you here listening. And I thank you so much for your time. And until we speak again, please be well. information and content in this podcast is provided for entertainment purposes only. Nothing in this podcast shall constitute legal advice and shall not create an attorney-client relationship. This information is general and may not be applicable to your particular circumstances. You should review your particular circumstances with an attorney. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this podcast is hereby expressly disclaimed.